So this morning, we are uh, continuing our series. We started it last week. It's called uh, With Him. And uh, it's in the book of Exodus. So if you could turn to me to the book of Exodus chapter 16. If you need a Bible, one of our ushers will get you a physical copy of the Bible. Um, but we do encourage you to have a reference to the Word of God in front of you, whether it's physically or on your uh, phones. Um, so, so last week, we, uh, we began with um, the Israelites' redemption right from Egypt um, by God's power. And they, they crossed over the Red Sea supernaturally. And this was God's way of, of showing them in, in a very real way that, that they were free from slavery. They were free from the Egyptians. They, they were no longer slaves. They, they, they were brought miraculously through the Red Sea out of Egyptian territory. You know, the Egyptians who were chasing them to, to enslave them again, God, God destroyed. And now the Israelites are, are left, you know, looking over the sea, seeing how God has freed them. And, and for us as God's people, that, that's what he's done for us when we come to faith in Jesus. He, he's freed us. He's freed us through faith in Jesus. He's freed us from, from the power of, of the fear of death over our life. He, he's freed us from the power of sin over our life. And, and, and he's freed us from, you know, being um, trapped uh, and helpless uh, at, at the powers of the world. Right? Sometimes we feel so helpless when we're in the workplace and, and they have all these uh, values that work so contrary to who we are. Or, or maybe we're in a non-Christian family and they work so contrary to who we feel we are. And we feel like we're, we're powerless to, to, to speak up. We're powerless to, to be, be a witness. But, but that's not true. Right? In, in the gospel, we're free. And we just have to walk into that freedom. Uh, so, so now the Israelites have to learn what does it mean to, to be free from sin? What does it mean to be free from Egypt? And what does it mean to, to walk with God, to serve God? Um, and so this week, uh, uh, we have a special uh, speaker. And he just has a passion to use his gifts to serve uh, the church. Uh, so we're happy to have him uh, join us today and, and share from uh, Exodus. So let's uh, welcome him up. <coughs> Good morning. It's really good to be here and to come and share with you as we look at uh, this journey that the Israelites were on as we look at uh, Exodus uh, chapter 16. And to really see that uh, now that they're free and no longer slaves, that there's a new kind of a learning of what it means to really trust in God. So as you look at this uh, Exodus uh, chapter 16, let me just pray and ask the Lord to be with us. So we thank you for bringing us here this morning. And the Father, the journey that we are on as we seek to trust you each day for all of our needs. And the Father, that you would help us to grow in our understanding of what it means to be dependent on you and to rely on you each day for all of our needs. So we pray that you would speak through uh, this chapter and the words that you have placed on my heart and that we would come to understand what you desire of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, every morning I take this, uh, this uh, bus, this shuttle, to, to get to my work. It's about 15 minutes, and it's with all the people that live in our complex. It's a, it's a complimentary shuttle bus. And so every morning, for about 15 minutes, we all get in this bus, and everyone is quite quiet because they've just woken up, and everyone's there, and everyone's dressed very professionally, and we're just kind of sitting there quietly, sitting in this ride. But on the way home, it's a different story. On the way home, people uh, from many different uh, situations are all going back to our home. And I, oftentimes I hear a lot of conversations, uh, sometimes with people on the phone. And I guess in our culture here, it's okay to talk very loud on the phone in a bus. So I end up hearing a lot of conversations. 
and I don't intend to, but it ends up that a lot of these conversations is usually someone complaining about someone else or complaining about some situation. And I've kind of did this informal survey, and I would say that at least two-thirds of the conversations that I hear are really grumbling and complaining about something. And I very seldom hear, I had a great day, or saying to someone else, this was a wonderful thing. I don't usually hear those words, but I often hear things of grumbling and complaining, and it tends to be uh, quite, quite negative. And I kind of sense when I'm riding this bus home that people are quite stressed. And those are the things and the words that come out. But, you know, maybe there's parallels between, you know, Chinese culture and complaining and the Jewish culture and complaining. It's not just uh, confined to any one culture, but the sense of complaining tends to be happening in many different settings. And if you look here in, in Exodus chapter 16, uh, they just, you know, came out of Egypt and they're here traveling through. And this has been about 45 days. And just at this point, they begin to, to grumble and to complain. And in Exodus chapter 16, verse 2 and 3, it says, And in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of, of meat and we ate all the food that we wanted. But you, you have brought us out of this desert to starve and uh, this entire assembly to death. And they're just coming and grumbling and complaining to Moses and to Aaron. You know, I think this thing of sometimes complaining and grumbling, um, it really transcends a lot of different cultures. Uh, there's a, a group of people that I fellowship with, and we're, in, we're from four to five different cultures and countries, and we've lived in many different places. And sometimes when you hear someone from their country, you say, oh, that's a wonderful country. We, we like what you do in that place. And then they say, but if you were really there, you would know. And then they start complaining about their own government and their own country. And it seems that we all have the ability to complain about our own situation. And this really does transcend the cultures. But this sense of grumbling was what they were doing when they came before Moses and Aaron. And they just came out of Egypt and they were grumbling. And so in verse 6 to 8, Moses then says, and Aaron to the Israelites, In the evening you will then know that it was the Lord who brought you out of Egypt. And in the morning you will see, um, is, uh, you will see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against him. Who are we that you should grumble against us? This is very interesting because Moses and Aaron saying, you know, you're, you're grumbling, but who are we? We're just human leaders. And he really, your grumbling is not against us, but it is against the Lord. And this is something that's uh, perhaps um, they were grumbling to Aaron and Moses, but in reality, they were grumbling against God. And in, in, in verse 3, it says that we sat around with pots of, of meat and we ate all the food that we wanted. You know, they were thinking back in Egypt. They had all this food, and really, they were focusing on their fleshly human needs. They were referring to all the wonderful food that they had back in Egypt. And if you think about the context of this grumbling and this complaining, it's very clear that it's in the context of food, that we don't have the food that we used to have. It's really, they're looking at this temporal, their, their, their hunger and the things that they enjoyed. And that's why they said, we used to sit around around the pots of meat. That sounds like
hot pot, right? <laughs> You're sitting around a hot pot and you have all kinds of meat. And it says, and we ate all the food that we wanted. And that's what really hot pot is like. You sit around, you keep putting, and you have all this food. Of course, maybe in today's times, nobody wants to go to hot pot. <laughs> but the food that they enjoy was really around this pot. And we can identify with that. And this is the context of the grumbling, was because they didn't have the food. It's amazing that the Israelites forgot so quickly the miracles that had just happened in the last previous 45 days. I mean, they were there in Egypt, and there was just 10 plagues. And think about the plagues, to, to see the Nile River be turned into blood. I mean, that is not just a, a magic trick, you know, to see something so powerful happen. And then to see fire and hail that would come and destroy parts of Egypt. And to see the locusts that would come. We're not talking thousands of locusts or hundreds of thousands. Probably millions or tens of millions of locusts swarming through Egypt and consuming all the things that could be eaten. To see all these powerful things that were happening, to leading up to, to the death of the firstborn son and the death of firstborn animals all throughout Egypt. And to see the cry that went through and the power and the devastation. And then they went through and, and into the wilderness and they got to the Red Sea. And what did Moses do? You know, Moses brings out and he has his powerful uh powerful hand of god on him and then the, the waters divide and then two million plus people walk through on dry land where the red sea was and as the egyptian army is coming and then moses lowers his hand and they are all drowned in the water such powerful things happened and yet they come to complain and that's why this thing of grumbling they just continued to grumble so much because they could not come to accept that they didn't have the food that they once had in Egypt. And the sense of grumbling and saying in verse 3, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt, they rather would have died than to, to be freed. It's amazing that this sense of the things that were so important that caused them to grumble. That instead of seeking God's provision, they thought about what they had in the past. Instead of really coming for God's, well, you brought us out of Egypt. You did all these miracles and powerful things. They didn't look at that. They just said, hey, we used to have this amazing dim sum. We used to have this hot pot. We used to have all of this food. And now you just brought, we'd rather just be dead. We'd rather have, have, have just died in Egypt than coming out. You know, have you ever questioned God's ability to solve a problem? or maybe doubted that God could provide. And perhaps that is human nature. When we're faced with a problem right there, that we think the short term, and we think of the immediate, and then we can begin to doubt. But here the doubting went on just not in their mind of doubting and hunger, but it began to be grumbling and complaining. And so this is something we can really understand about the, the sense of grumbling complaining that the Israelites did and asked the questions. Where are we at? Are there things that we can be grumbling about? Well, we then see that God comes to provide. And he says in verse 4 uh, what he's going to do. And this is what I would call this. God does a deliveroo. God does a deliveroo in the desert where there is no cell phone that you can just order. 
There is no service in restaurants, but God does a deliveroo and he brings into the wilderness the food that is needed. So here, let's look at this deliveroo in the desert. It says in verse 4, I will rain down bread from heaven. This is totally from God. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. Now, God could have many other ways that he could have provided. But in this very specific uh, way of provision, it's saying that it's from heaven that God is providing this manna that's going to come from heaven, from God, and it's going to reach and be available for them on the ground, on the land. It's, 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 it's unquestionable. This is really provision from God. And that's why I call this Deliveroo in the desert. It just comes. It's just an instant provision that is against all the physical things. And then in verse 4 and 5 it says, And the people are to go out each day and to gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them to see whether they will follow my instructions. Because on the sixth day, they are to prepare and to bring in uh, that which is twice as much as they gather on the other days. In other words, God had a very specific provision that for six days, every day, there would be a provision of the manna. And then on the sixth day, they had to get twice as much because the day after it would be the Sabbath. And what is God saying? He wants us to understand the whole nature of daily bread. To come and depend on God each day to have this sense of daily bread. That is not something that you can store up and save up. I think here, we know all about storing up and saving up. I mean, I won't embarrass anyone, but how many of you have more toilet paper than you might have ever had in your house before or more tissues? And in fact, many people may not have any tissues or any toilet paper because there's been this sense of storing up just in case. And the sense of saving up is really part of our cultural heritage because we don't want to be caught without. You know, we always want to get that extra bag of rice to have it available and to, to provide for the needs that we have. It's very natural in our human culture to want to do that. But God was saying to them, daily bread, I will do a deliveroo every morning, every day, this deliveroo is going to come, and you're going to have this manna and this provision. And he says, I want you to do it every day. You're not going to save it up. You're not going to have some people can save up more and then try to resell it. You're not going to be able to have all this uh, that you can just accumulate. But rather, it's a daily dependency on God that you have to come and you have no option to save, no option to accumulate. And, you know, God could have fed the Israelites, two million people, in many different ways. But he chose to do it this way. He chose to do it in a daily provision so that they had to learn how to trust God in this pattern of relying on God and not on themselves. You know, because in Egypt, they can build storehouses. You know, and Joseph did that when he was you know, in, in power, and he did store things. And in Egypt, in the city, you can do that. You can accumulate. And when you have so much, you begin to rely on yourself. And you don't have to rely on God. And, and the sense of self-sufficiency. And you think about that in Hong Kong. There are actually many people that live in Hong Kong month to month, day by day. That they don't have a lot of provisions and they, after paying for some of their basic expenses or their housing, they barely have enough to meet their needs each day. And I would say that in Hong Kong, there are many people that uh, are living in the sense of uh, a sense of dependency, but perhaps not knowing where it's going to come from and living in a very simple way. And yet in Hong Kong, we have one of the 
the, the, the largest gap of, of wealth and poverty, between wealth and poverty, that many people in the middle class, as well as the very wealthy, um, have a lot of resources and accumulated a lot of things and live in abundance, that many people in Hong Kong can choose where they want to eat and choose from many options. And perhaps one of the dividing factors in Hong Kong is whether you rent or you own a property. Because if you rent, you pay rent for your rest of your, rest of your life. If you own a property, at some point you pay it off. You can, you can then have a sense of security that you don't have to keep paying and your provisions are made for. But no matter how you look at it, in Hong Kong, it could be very difficult for us to be in total dependency on God because we have such an abundance of resources. And I think at this time, as we've gone through you know, over half a year of protests and uh, how that has affected our sense of, of security and certainty in life, it's affected us economically. And then on top of that, well, what else could happen? You know, you know we've gone through a long period of these protests and, and yet um, in, in God's sovereign plan, uh, the effect of this virus comes into Hong Kong and is spreading throughout uh, China and the region and now to other parts of the world. You know, it's like a perfect storm of really uprooting anything that we could have our confidence in. And I think it is a powerful thing, and I would say it's an amazing thing of God, that in Hong Kong right now, particularly amongst the church, that God, I believe, is speaking to us, wanting to challenge and to call us to be unified, to be dependent and trusting in God. Because, I mean, the things that we have gone through in the past year, and then as we go into this now, we realize that we all need to be fully dependent on God. And this is an opportunity for that. You know, we have in the Lord's Prayer, give us our day or daily bread. But I now hear, give us, Lord, give us our daily mask. <laughs> you know, give us protection. Uh, give us the things that we really urgently need now. And that is changing because it's not just simply daily bread per se, but really daily protection and the sense of fear that is transcending so much of our city. You know, Hudson Taylor, the founder of China Inland Mission, uh, which is now known as Overseas Missionary Field OMF, uh, when Hudson Taylor, he founded the China Inland Mission, he wanted to do it on faith, that he was not going to tell people about the different needs. He was just going to pray and God would provide. And so there was a point uh, in the, the mission in China that they were running out of rice and they could no longer feed the workers. And so they went and told him, says, Hudson Taylor, this is the last bag of rice. We can no longer feed our people after this. What does he say? He says, praise the Lord. <laughs> if you have a leader that says that, you know, we have no more money, we have no more food, he says, praise the Lord. He says, because at last we can now experience the storehouse of God. Because as you have money still in your hand, in your pocket, you'll never really understand what the storehouse of God, the provision of God. And this is really by faith. And as soon as he said that, someone came and knocked on the door. And it was a delivery of mail all the way from England. took five months. And yet in, in, it could have come earlier or later, but it came at the moment they had no more rice. And then there was a contribution um, to, to contribute uh, money to the mission. God's timing was perfect. And it's like, it wasn't early, didn't come late, but it came at the point of need. And this is the provision that we see. So let's look at this uh, deliverer in the, in the desert in verse 13. 
Okay, in verse 13, it says, The evening quail came and covered the camp. And in the morning, there was a layer of dew around the camp, which is the manna. Now, verse 13, the evening quail came and covered the camp. Let me ask you, how much, how many quail do you think that was? Now, there's over 2 million people in, in, in Israel. And if you think about 2 million plus people, it's about a third of the population of Hong Kong. And all the people are scattered out in the, wilder, in the, in the, in the desert. And it's like, you can look so far away, and there's 2 million people. That's the size of the camp. And it says here that the evening quail came and covered the camp. So you can imagine a lot of quail came and descended in the evening. And this is Deliveroo in the desert. God provides, and they have quail. They have the meat that they've been wanting. In verse 14, when the dew was gone in the morning, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. And the Israelites saw it. They said to each other, what is it? But they didn't know what it was. And Moses said, it is the bread the Lord has given you to eat. And this is what the Lord commands. Gather as much as you need. Take an armor for each person that you have in your tent. So he provides. And it tasted like uh, wafers made with honey. This is just an amazing provision. And it says here that the Israelites were told in verse 17 to gather as much or as some. And verse 18, and when they measured it uh, by the omer, the one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one that gathered little did not have too little. Because everyone gathered just as much as they need. In other words, even if you grabbed you didn't know how much an omer was. You just grabbed it. It became enough. You might have grabbed more. You might have grabbed less. But somehow this, this manna would, would be the right quantity and would satisfy the person. And it's amazing. You know, God knows how much you need. Even though you don't know, maybe you grabbed too little, but God is able to botong. He could add it, make it enough. You know, he could supplement and make that thing, no matter how you, you brought it, is enough and that God provides. So it is a supernatural provision and God uses it to fully satisfy our daily needs. So God provides in amazing ways. You know, there's a man named George Mueller who was in the early 1800s. He was born in Germany, but he lived uh, in England as a pastor. And when he went to, to England to, and was asked to be a pastor of this very small church, um, they had this, uh, this uh, custom in the church that the best seats in the house, they would pay, the, the, the wealthy members of the church would pay money to sit in the pews. And then that's how they had revenues for the church. And those that were poor had to sit in the back in the other less preferred seats so that whoever had money could uh, have the preferred seats. Isn't that kind of a fundraising way, you know? We could just uh, put a price tag and you want to sit in a certain part, although some people might prefer to sit in the back than in the front. But there was a sense of how they did that in the church. And, and George Mueller says, no, I don't want you to do that in the church. In fact, I don't want you to pay me a salary. He says, I believe I can trust in God and God will provide. So he became a pastor of the church and, and changed the system and didn't get paid. But God provided because George Mueller prayed and the money came. And his family always had what they needed at the moment. And so George Mueller was then uh, praying and he'd walk by and saw uh, every day a lot of children. They were orphans and they were, did not have any parents to take care of them. And they were in these orphanages that were run by the state. 
and it was not very well run, and the children were really not treated well. And so George Mueller felt this real desire, and he prayed. He says, God, I, I sense that you want me to do this, but can, can you provide a building? Can you provide the, the, the caretakers? Can you provide the money for the food and, and, and the clothing for the children? And so George Mueller, Mueller didn't have any money himself, but in praying, God provided one after another. Whether it was a large wealthy donation from a wealthy man or a small donation from a child that got the equivalent of a, a hongbao, a red envelope, you know, some money, a, a small amount given to him. So from large and small donations, he put together and had a very amazing orphanage. And one morning, George Mueller, uh, his, the, the, the house mother said to George Mueller, the children are dressed and are ready to go to school. But there is no food for them to eat for breakfast. So what does George Mueller say? You have 300 children. He says, please have them sit at the tables and we'll get ready to eat. Now, if you're the house mother, you go, this guy's crazy. You have 300 children. You have no food. And he says, sit down and have them. In fact, I'm going to give thanks for the food. I'm going to pray. So here's George Mueller, 300 children, ready to eat, ready to go to school, has no food in the building. And he he prays. And he says, we thank God for this food, you know, and this is total faith. And if you were in that, you would think he's crazy. And yet, as soon as he said that, there was this pause and moments passed by. And a few minutes later, there was a knock on the door. And there's a man who says, and he's the baker who bakes bread. And the baker says to George Mueller, last night, I couldn't sleep. Then somehow I knew that you might need this bread. So I woke up this morning and I made three batches of bread. Here it is. <laughs> and then moments later, another knock. And the milkman, the milkman that delivers milk, his cart, the wheel broke right in front of the orphanage. And then he says to George Mueller, I can't fix my wheel in time. This milk is going to perish. Can you make use of this milk? And George Mueller, yes, thank you, you know. <laughs> and you think about it. You know, God would go to the extent of, of getting this man's cart wheel broken, you know, and, and just to provide for the children. It's like the milkman was having a bad day, you know. As far as he could see, his cart was not supposed to, you know, break like that. But from George Mueller's perspective, this is God's provision. And that God would go to the extent of causing this wheel to break to provide for the children right there. It could have broke anywhere else. And God was amazing. Or over a baker that he would keep the baker from going to sleep. Hey, wake up, wake up. And then, you know, get him so um, burdened that he had to, to bake bread the next morning for, for George Mueller. And this is just God, that his way of providing. And partly it's because George Mueller never told anyone that he had the needs. He just simply prayed. And he really believed that when he prayed, that God would provide. And this is the kind of faith and dependency on God that we see in, in George Mueller. And the kind of dependency that God wanted the Israelites to have. He wanted them to, to be in the same way, to really be in dependency on God. Have you ever experienced that before? I mean, I'm not saying uh, bread that shows up or milk that comes up in a in a way that you didn't expect, but some, some provision of God or intervention of God that just happens, that you can't explain, that you would never expect, 
And maybe you may even lack the faith to pray for that. And yet God somehow has done that in your life. Or perhaps you're like the baker or you're like the, the milkman. And you're having a bad day <laughs> and some very bad circumstances and, and problems are right in front of you. But it could it be that that problem is part of a bigger thing that God is doing that answers the prayer of something else that is going to then draw us to depend on him even more or to resolve a problem of some other thing. And that's why God's way of working is beyond our understanding. And for the Israelites, they just wanted something to eat. You know, we, we missed the pots of meat. We really would rather just have died. See, but they're thinking so short term, they couldn't see the greatness of God's plan. And so this is what it means for us to be in independency on God for daily bread, for daily needs. And then in verse 20, we see that the Sabbath is very important. And so verse 20, it says, however, some paid no attention to Moses and they kept part of it in the morning, but some maggots and uh, it was full of maggots and began to smell. So what happened here in verse 20 was that they were supposed to set aside and have enough for just one day. But some of them saved up more. They didn't want to trust God. They says, hey, we have the food now. Let's get it now and let's save it up because then we have it in our possession, in our control. The next day, we don't know if this God's going to come again and provide. So they didn't trust God. They tried to do it. And what happened? It turned um, and, 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 and spoiled and maggots were growing inside. See, they didn't come to understand that they needed to trust God every day. In verse 21, each morning, everyone gathered as much as they need. And when the sun was hot, it melted away. So on verse 22, on the sixth day, they're supposed to gather twice as much and then have food for the Sabbath day. And in verse 24, it says that when they saved it until the morning, it did not stink and did not have maggots in it. And so that's why on the Sabbath day, if they properly prepared the day before, they would have enough. And then there's others that they didn't save the double on the, on the sixth day. And they were expecting on the Sabbath day to go out and get it. And when they went out, there was none. And so many people, they either did not want to trust God and they want to accumulate and that didn't work. Others didn't listen to God and just thought, well, it's going to come every day. It's going to come again. And so God here was trying to teach them about the Sabbath, the importance of the Sabbath and why we need to have six days and then on the seventh day to rest. God was also teaching them about what it means to depend on God for daily bread. That this deliveroo in the desert would come six days and every day, and it was a process of being dependent on God and trying to do that. So what did we learn this morning? One is about complaining against God. You know, this grumbling that we may have. What does it mean for us to be grumbling? This grumbling really is rejecting God's will. It's rejecting God's plan that this is not good. This grumbling is like we focus on our situation right now and we can't see the good in anything else. You know, we can't imagine anything beyond the current moment. We can't see tomorrow or the future. We just see the now. And we can be in a season of complaining. So let me ask you that this morning. Are you in a season of grumbling? Are there things that are maybe in your heart that are difficult to accept? difficult to understand. 
And this is a question in our situation because our city has many circumstances and many things for us to complain and to be grumbling about. But the question is in our life, whether personally or as a city, um, are we in a point of grumbling before the Lord? The second is the deliverer in the desert, that God can provide provisions out of nowhere. And the question is, we look at how he provides, but he can provide for 300 orphans and bring uh, a milkman and force his, his wheel to break and provide milk or to get bread in a very miraculous and powerful way. God provided for the feeding of the 5,000, 5,000 men plus women and children. And, you know, he didn't have any food. And he asked the disciples, what do we have? Well, we have these five loaves of fish and two little, or five bread and two fish. We have this small amount of food. It's kind of like, you know, you're raising up your hand and you have a can of sardines, you know, and you have just some bread in your hands. And what does Jesus say? He says, sit down in groups of 50 and get ready for the feast. Get ready to eat. I'm going to give thanks. And it's like this whole thing of trusting in God in the absence without it being there. And the disciples did that. And then Jesus prayed and he took that small amount of food and he broke it and he broke it. And it just kept coming. It never ended until everyone had more than enough and they even had leftovers. And this is the kind of, uh, of provision that God is seeking to do, that he can provide out of nowhere. So is there anything in your life now, in your current situation, in which you have a need or you have a difficulty that you don't see the way out? And perhaps you're in need of something literally from heaven that can intervene and then provide. I think we can learn from here in this passage to see the example of how God was able to provide this very powerfully to deliver to them in the desert in an impossible situation. And then thirdly, learning about this dependency, what it means for us to depend on God, that God provides just enough what we need for each day. And you think about it, this manna that came down for 40 years, when did the manna stop coming down? It was the day that they got to the border of Canaan's land, to the promised land. And when they were there, the land in Canaan was so uh, abundant with all these provisions that they no longer had. And the manna stopped and God's provision was then shifted from the manna to the land, the promised land. That God is going to provide now in the, in the promised land. And there's a very different season. That in one season that we need to, to see dependency on God. And for the Israelites, it was a daily manna provision. But now in this season, it's no longer that way. Now we got to trust God to fight our enemies and have victory so that we can claim this promised land. And that's why in our lives, in each season, there is a different type of faith that we need to have with God. In, in one season, it might be like for the Israelites, they were complaining about being slaves. So then they were, they were freed. Then they were complaining about um, how they would uh, have food to eat. And then God provide the manna. So each season is a different dependency on God. And really, for 40 years in the desert, that was not God's plan. God did not originally say, you're going to be in the desert for 40 years. It was because they came back and the spies had a, a bad report. And they listened to the bad report. And then they decided not to trust in God. And that's why he had them wander for 40 years. So that the generation that did not believe would die off 
and they would never go to the promised land. But that was not God's original plan. His plan was to actually bring them into the promised land. So this 40 years of wandering, God provided. But then after that is a new season, new dependency, and new situation. So let me ask you this morning, what season are you in? What season of dependency are you in with God? Is it for your basic needs? Is it for your essential situation? Or is God leading to the next level for you to depend on him with a different set of challenges for something new and unknown that he might be preparing you now for that season? And in each season of our life, there is a different dependency that we need to have on God. And the Israelites went through that. While they were in Egypt as slaves, as they came out and they were freed, wandering through the desert, and then relying on God for food, and then going into the promised land to trust God for victory. And we can see how they failed at each of those points. And the question I have this morning is how can we, in our journey, in each season, come to depend on God and to rely on Him for our daily needs? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the the example that we have as we look at the Israelites. And I ask, Lord, that you would help us to live in total dependency on you. And that, Father, we would rely on you for our daily needs, that we would come to uh, not accumulate and, and rely on our own abilities, but that we would come to you every day for all that you provide. And I ask that you would help us to not have a spirit of grumbling, of complaining, but to come to embrace what you are doing, even though we do not understand the nature of everything that is happening around us. So help us to depend and to rely on you. And I pray, Father, for your spirit to bring peace to us in our hearts, that no matter what situation we may be in individually, that we can learn to rely on you and to fully embrace what you have. We pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen.